I, I love that video <laughs> because for a couple of reasons. One is every single one of us knew exactly why we were showing that video because we knew what was going to happen at the end, right? Nobody, no one was surprised. We knew it was going to happen, and we knew that this guy was making a dumb decision. I mean, he was a moron for not taking, not taking the money and running, right? I mean, we, we had that, that situation. And yet, <clears throat> I guarantee you, if that guy were here right now and he were watching himself, like he, he would say, take the money as well. I, there is something about that situation. I, I don't know what in the world it is about us getting in situations like that where we know what the smart thing to do is, we know what the right thing to do is, and for some reason, we make the wrong decision. We think, well, maybe this time uh, we're gonna be the exception, and, and so we gamble on something, or we get a little too greedy, and we see it all the time, and yet it's one of those things that is really tricky to identify in our lives in the moment, like to keep ourselves from making that wrong decision, because something about getting caught up in the lights, in the crowd, in the noise, something going on in his life, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe he didn't need the money or something like that, and I'm thinking, dude, you are an idiot, <laughs> you know, I cannot believe you did that, did that thing, but all of us have been in that situation sometimes. Times. And so it's, it's why we're, we're talking about these, these emotions over the, uh, the course of the sermon series called Enemies of the Heart, because our hearts deceive us. Uh, we've mentioned this verse at the beginning of the series, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, and uh, this is what Jeremiah re records. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And we know that there are some times that we get controlled, we get, we get directed by certain emotions in our life that throw us way off course, and we look back and we say, man, what in the world was I thinking? I can't believe that thing happened, or how did I get in this place? Um, and all of these, all of these emotions are, are problems for us. And so we've talked about uh, two so far. We've talked about guilt, and guilt says, I owe you. We've been looking at these uh, from the context of being a debt-to-debtor relationship. And so something was taken from us, or we think we deserve something, and so it creates this rift between us and another person, or us and ourselves, or us and God. And so, uh, so guilt says, for example, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. And today, as we're talking about the enemy of, of greed, greed says, I owe me. And um, that's, that might be kind of an interesting way to, to think about that, maybe a unique, unique way to, to ever think about greed. Because one of the things that's definitely true about greed, and especially us talking about it, is that most of us are not thinking to ourselves, oh yeah, I struggle with that. Like, this is going to be relevant to me. Most of us are thinking, oh, I know some people that need to be here and need to hear this. <laughs> I mean, it's not me, but I know some other people who should listen to this. And so that, that's what makes greed really interesting because it's not one of those things we self-identify as being, but as we dig into our hearts a little more today, we might see a little more of us than we think in this emotion uh, because greed can be pretty tricky. Uh, greedy people, for example, believe every good thing that comes their way, like it makes sense. It, it kind of it ought to be that way. Of course, good things should come away. And it actually goes a little bit uh, one step further. Greedy people, for example, believe that they deserve every good thing that could possibly go their way. It's like, what? Wait a second. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole, like, what's mine is mine. Um, I earned it. I deserve it. Uh, I ought to have more coming in my life. 
It's, it's those kinds of things. That's how it creeps in, into our life. And yes, listen, I, I get it. There are times that, that we absolutely say yes to good things, where we have good experiences that I, I get sometimes, like you're, you have that moment in your life where you're like, I'm just going to treat myself. You know? And so, yeah, every once in a while, treat yourself. You know? And there's some things that God blesses us with, and, and we're meant to enjoy all good things. And that's great. Uh, but that's, this sermon is not about that. It's about the way that the enemy uses greed to kind of creep in into our hearts and take us off, off course. And greed is so different be- from the other enemies of the heart that we've talked about and we're going to talk about because it's so good at disguising itself. In fact, um, a lot of us have some very legitimate reasons and excuses for why greed might be a problem for us. Like maybe we grew up in a context where we had um, hardly anything in our life. And so because of that, that's affected us in certain ways that we uh, look at acquiring wealth and we look at acquiring material possessions in a way that we think is, oh, this is the opposite of what I grew up and experienced. And so this is the healthy way to do it. And maybe that's the reason uh, why we struggle with greed. Or maybe we've lost everything. And so we, we know what it means to be with and we know what it means to be without. Um, maybe you've seen somebody else make some horrible financial decisions, you've seen them crash and burn, and so you don't want to be that way in your life, or maybe you're just used to a certain standard way of living. We don't identify as greedy usually because we usually don't know that we've learned to be greedy because it's a natural process, it's an organic process, that sometimes the way we are the way we are is because we've grown up in a broken world and we've been in broken situations and we don't realize and we don't recognize how it's affected us and how it's changed for us, especially when it can be a way of life that's modeled for us in our community and in our society and in our culture. Uh, while greed is difficult to identify in ourselves, it's, it's so much easier to, to look at it and see it in other people, right? Uh, there's, there's a list, for example, that we could come, uh, come up with and we could think about very specific, specific people in our life. For example, greedy people talk a lot and worry a lot about money. Greedy people are not cheerful givers. Greedy people are reluctant to share. Greedy people are poor losers. Greedy people uh, quibble over insignificant sums of money. Greedy, you know that person who's like, hey, you remember that time I let you borrow a dollar? You, you owe me that dollar. Um, really? Is, is that? Not that a dollar is insignificant, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. The greedy people talk as if they just have enough to get by. Greedy people often create a culture of secrecy around them. Greedy people won't let you forget what they've done for you. Greedy people are reluctant to express gratitude. Greedy people aren't content with what they have. And greedy people attempt to control people with their money. And, and, and when we talk about this, sure, we can, we can think about other people who are on that list, but it's likely that most, if not all of us, found ourselves at some point in our life on that list somewhere. When it comes to greed, greed is an equal opportunity offending emotion. This is not something that just affects rich people. Uh, this is, affects rich and poor and everybody in between. And while, yes, compared to the rest of the world, we're, we're rich when it comes to anybody on that spectrum, uh, all of us deal with greed regardless of what our situation is. We can, we can based on what we've, we've taught and how we've lived our lives. And so what's important to identify in guarding our hearts against greed is this truth, is that greed is really not a financial issue. It's actually a heart issue. It's not just about the inanimate objects, <laughs> the, the money and the stuff that represents our greed or reflects our greed back to us. It's, it's actually about our heart and how we think about those things. 
Uh, for, for greedy people, for example, stuff equals life. And the driving force behind all of that is fear. I mean, just an honest moment here when it comes to us being concerned about what we have and gaining more and all that kind of stuff, most of that is driven by fear. And I get that there are smart things uh, to do with our money and there's smart decisions and all those kinds of things. The Bible identifies those kinds of things absolutely that's true. But being honest with ourselves and wondering, like, why, why am I concerned so much about my money and my stuff? It may be born out of fear. The what ifs. It's peeling back the layers of excuses and what ifs and discovering why we feel the way we do about our stuff. Uh, for example, Andy Stanley describes it like this. He writes, people with greed lodged in their heart fear that God either can't or won't take care of them. More to the point, they're afraid that God won't take care of them in the fashion or style in which they want to be cared for. That's a gut punch uh, to me. And the gap between what they suspect God might be willing to do and what they want becomes a major source of anxiety. And so we're going to look at a parable that Jesus teaches in, in Luke chapter 12. So if your Bible's with you, go ahead and turn to that. And this is a really interesting parable because this is not in a, in a string of parables that Jesus is kind of on a roll teaching all these, these, uh, these truths to a large crowd of people. There is a large crowd here, but it actually comes as an interruption in the middle of something really important that Jesus is talking about. And so Luke chapter 12, right before this parable, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people, and he's specifically talking to his disciples, and he's talking about how, hey, in our faith, there are going to be times that people persecute you, there are going to be times that people um, don't want you to be sharing who I am, and, and you need to make sure that, that you don't fear those people and that you acknowledge me. And so you can, you can understand how this would be a really important conversation that Jesus is, is having. And in the midst of this, verse 13 comes along, and someone in the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, are you kidding right now? Like, we're talking about some really important life-changing stuff. Like, we're talking about how following me and sharing me with other people, like, that can get you into some real-life danger and trouble, and it's not always going to be comfortable. And so I'm trying to encourage everyone with this, and you're going to stop me to talk about your brother won't, won't divide the inheritance with you. Okay, so he doesn't say all that. Uh, what he does say is, man... Who appointed me a judge or arbiter in between you? And so Jesus looks at this guy and he says, are, are you kidding me? And he completely calls this guy out in front of everyone. Now his expectation is, hey, I'm reaching out to this spiritual leader because I want to represent me in this case that I'm, I, I'm pretty justified on. I mean, he won't share with me, right? Anybody who's been a child at any point, we know what, it, what it's like to go whine and tattletale about somebody not sharing with us. Or if we have kids, like we've experienced that before. And I'm sure that this was a shock to his system and probably to other people as well, because he's thinking, oh, I'm completely justified here. He won't share with me. And Jesus, I think Jesus is all about sharing. And so I'm going to see if he will help me out here. But instead, Jesus actually doesn't just expose his brother's greed. He exposes the covetousness of this guy's own heart. Luke 12, 15, Jesus says to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. 
There's a twofold problem with greed. Not only is it hard to identify, but it's also something we can never satisfy. There's never enough. And so the cycle continues. We're never satisfied, and it, can't, it goes uncon, undetected. And this guy like, had no clue that when he was asking Jesus this question to do this thing for him, that he would be called out for this because of that. And you would think, like, uh, all, of us, all of us know that. We, we know that intellectually, surely, that we're never satisfied. The more we want, the more we get. We still want more things. And yet, it's something that we can, it's a cycle that we continue to fall into, that we should know better, but we don't. Uh, because some of us have bought into the lie that our success in life or that our value in life is the sum of what we have and what we can acquire. And this is why we need the truth of God's word to expose these enemies of the heart. And this is what Jesus does in this example. He goes on to uncover this lie uh, that greed tries to convince us of with a parable. And so in Luke chapter 12, verse 16, he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And this is a really interesting way to connect with the people here because they would have understand because this was an agrarian society. So they're used to planting crops. You got to grow your food, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so they've been shepherds, they've been farmers, and, and they would have understand like what it, what it goes into to have a great harvest. And one of the things that they would have known is that when it comes to a great harvest, yeah, there's some things that you can plant on. And so plant your seed at the right time uh, that you want to try to get your soil to a consistent place. But a lot of things that you do when it comes to farming, you just can't control. Like they're, they're not, you can't control the weather. You can't control how much rain falls and the perfect balance for your soil consistency and whether or not you planted your seed on the perfect day and whether or not the sun is going to be out just the right amount of time. And this is a rich guy. He's got a lot of stuff. And so, you know, he has employees working for him and you don't know that they're always going to work well. And you don't know whether or not insects or a drought or bad weather is going to come and ruin your crop. But this guy looks at all of this and he looks at what he's done and he thinks, man, this is all all these things I've, I, have, I have done myself. Like, I've accomplished this thing. Look how amazing this is. What should I do with all of this excess? Um, because greedy people don't see the world this way. They, they don't see the world in, in terms of, man, there's so many other factors that are outside of my control that come together for good things to happen in my life. They're only thinking about themselves because they've earned it. And so this farmer, what does he do with his extra stuff? He, he's thinking about hoarding it. Like this is, this is his plan for these things. He never even considered that maybe God might have something to do with it. It never crosses his mind that it might be for somebody else's consumption and not just his own. And God has definitely provided this man with extra. And so the appropriate question for him is, hey, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. He should have been asking himself the question, Lord, what do you want me to do with this extra? You've provided with me with all the things that I need in this life, so, so what should I do with the extra that you give me? And it's a question that we should be asking ourselves. I mean, maybe it would be kind of different for us, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable, because it's not how people who are controlled by the emotion of greed think. Uh, we got a tax relief check uh, a couple weeks ago. I don't, I don't know how that happened for some random amount, and I don't know why. And if you didn't get one, like, I'm sorry. Um, and, and not that it was like a, a ton of money, uh, but we got one. And my first thought was, this is just the right amount for me to buy my wife her Christmas present. I promise it was about her and not about me at all. 
And, uh, and, and, you know, it was, it was one of those things that, you know, of course I had to think that because she, she wouldn't let me cancel Christmas for our kids to go to the World Series. So um, I was trying to, you know, I felt like that would be a really good way to teach them about greed and not being greedy. Um, and so, kids, you're not going to get anything this year or the next year or the year after that because daddy's going to go to the World Series. Um, just like the landowner, like when something like, like that happens, we, immediately, we have a plan for the extra. Like we know exactly what we're going to do with it. We know how we're going to spend it uh, because it's meant for us. And it's this cool thing that we get to do something for ourselves with. And so Luke chapter 12, verse 18, this is what this guy does. He says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear, tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, it's, it's really interesting to me that what this guy does is his first thought is, you know what, let me, let me destroy all the things that are already existing in my life that have provided me for so long with what I need and has been sufficient for my life, and let me big a bigger monument to myself to hold all my stuff. Because that's going to be, that, be the best way to use these extra resources in my life. Uh, it, it's really, like, like we could talk about self-storage stuff, right, you know, and how, and our relationship, with, and I'm not saying, like, if you've got a storage unit that you're a greedy person, that's not what I'm saying at all, but it's one of those things that, it's really interesting that any time that you have moved into a different space in your life, like, like maybe you had an apartment at one point, and then you moved to a bigger space or a bigger space, for some reason, we always are able to fill that space. Have you ever noticed that? some reason we look around and we're like, how do we end up with so much junk and what are we going to do with this and how are we going to move it all when we sell you know, our house for the next time? We, we end up building bigger barns just because that's what you do. It, it's not even something that we necessarily think about and we're intentional about, but that's just that's who we are. That's what we do as a society. Um, this guy, for example, I mean, you know, for some of us, for most of us, some of what he's doing seems actually pretty reasonable. I mean, this guy's providing for his retirement, maybe. I mean, he wants to have a good life. He wants to be able to eat, drink, and be merry. He wants to take it easy, not have a care in the world. Is there really anything so wrong with that? Greed is tricky sometimes because it hides behind things that are actually good, and sometimes things that make good financial sense, and sometimes make good uh, uh, security decisions when it comes to our life and how we acquire our things. And maybe if our stories ended there, like with that happily ever after, after where like that's, that's the end of things, maybe he'd seem like an example we'd hold up for what we want out of life. And if that was it, like, and that would be great, that would be, that would be the plan, um, and that would be amazing, we would follow up. But the problem is he actually didn't plan far enough ahead. In Luke chapter 20, God says to this guy, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And the answer is very obvious, is that someone else will. Because you're not, you don't get to take your stuff with you, and we all know that. We, we understand that. It's not like this guy is thinking, oh, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave something for my kids, and this is going to be great, we're going to have a family legacy that I'm going to be provided. Like, that's, that's not his, that is not his goal. It's for him to enjoy in his life. And someone else will end up with everything this man earned and deserved quote-unquote, and stored up. And in the end, his wealth will be distributed to others, not because he's generous, but just because he's dead. And that's the same thing that happens with us when we are directed by our greed. We don't live a full life. We live a dead life. This man will run out of time before he runs out of stuff. And this should give us pause for what we value 
when it comes to acquiring things and how we use our stuff. Jesus closes the parable with this warning. Luke 12, 21, he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus' definition of a greedy person is a person who stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And when it comes to being rich toward God, it always means being generous to others. Greed directs us to save carefully but give sparingly. I mean, that's, that's the tension that it creates in our life. It's like, I, I don't know that I have enough extra to be able to share with someone else, whether they're in need, whether it be just a good thing to do for them to share uh, the love and grace and mercy of Jesus in their life. Um, and rather than fixating on financial security, like this guy who originally asked this question of Jesus was concerned about, what Jesus is more interested in is us investing in eternity. When this man's life, uh, his time ran out, he didn't just lose his life, he lost everything he considered his life because it was all for him. And the, the way that God describes him is, is he's foolish. This is a foolish way to live, even though it seems like some of this is conventional wisdom. The problem with this thinking is when, when we don't have enough, we're always wondering why, but when we do have enough and we have extra, we don't always wonder why. God wants us to provide for our families. He wants us to be wise. Uh, scripture is very clear about handling our finances in a wise way, to not be in debt, um, to, uh, to, to pay attention uh, to godly ways of managing our money and our possessions. But at the end of the day, let's just acknowledge we live in a consumer-driven culture that makes it tough to live life the way Jesus describes it here. It's very difficult to ever feel like we ever have enough because we are culturally, socially conditioned to never feel that way because corporations want us to continue to buy more, to spend more, to acquire more. You don't even have to have extra to be greedy. If you've allowed your lifestyle to keep in lockstep with how much money you have or to surpass your income, you're a candidate for greed being a problem in your heart. I'm a candidate for that. Guilt, uh, and, and so what we've talked about for the last uh, couple weeks, we've, we've talked about the practical way in which we uh, fight against these emotions that seek to control and damage our hearts. Uh, for example, we talked about guilt. Guilt is conquered with confession. Uh, we talked about anger last week, how anger is conquered with forgiveness. Well, well greed is conquered uh, by generosity. Because in the economy of God's kingdom, living life to the full uh, and living life to the full, the enemy of greed is conquered by the habit of generosity. And this is not a feeling, again, that we try to acquire, but this is a habit that we put into practice in our life to fight against this emotion that seeks control for us, this broken way of thinking and living. Um, it looks like giving in a way that forces us to adjust our lifestyles. And this is what Jesus is expecting of this guy who's concerned about his brother's possessions. It's like you're so consumed with what this other person has that you're failing to even recognize how you ought to be living your life in generosity and not consumed by greed. Um, if we're consumed by, for example, saving to the point that we have little or nothing left to give, it's likely greed is taking hold. If we're consumed by making sure every part of our paycheck is taking up, that we have mo no margin left to be generous, to help someone else, then it's likely greed is taking hold. The practical step in Scripture, and this is always the fun part when you talk about greed and generosity, right? Because everybody loves this part, and they're like, oh, I'm so glad I invited my friend to come with me on this Sunday. Like, the practical steps for that, in the Old Testament, God required the Israelites to give percentages of their income. 
Um, the, the way we, we talk about it, it's actually more than 10%, but that's more popular and more palatable uh, to talk about that in a church setting. And so we say, you know, percentage giving is one of the ways that we combat greed and we're generous. And that's, that's how we respond to God. And so absolutely, that principle is in Scripture and it's reflected there. In fact, if you continue into the New Testament, the, the bar is raised even higher because we're told to be cheerful givers, and you think, well, I can, I can give a percentage of my income and not be happy about it at all. Like I can check that box off and be like, look, God, I'm giving my 10% uh, to the church. And so I'm, I'm going to, in fact, I'm, I'm also sp- sponsoring a child and I'm also, you know, I'm going on this mission trip and I'm doing these things and, and, and this is good stuff. And we th- I'm doing what you told me to do. In the New Testament, it's always ramped up a little bit and it's about our hearts. It's about what's happening in our hearts. And so we're told, hey, we want to be a cheerful giver. And we want to, again, be more concerned about investing in the economy of God's kingdom rather than our own kingdom and building that up. And, and so uh, some of you, maybe some of you have never heard that and you didn't know that's in Scripture. It's like, yeah, people give. I, that's, that's how the church functions. That's how we reach out into the community. Uh, that's, that's how we do ministry. That's how we're here right now in this place in this place together. And so that's a pattern um, through, throughout Scripture. But instead of uh, talking more about that, I, I actually want to, I sh- actually kind of want to brag on our church a little bit, if that's cool. Is, is that, is that right? Can I do that? All right. Is that, I don't know, that's, maybe that's not a normal thing. Like when it, you're talking about, all right, how am I going to brag about the church when we're talking about greed and we're talking about generosity? Let me tell you a little bit about Velocity. And, and just over the last few years, kind of being here, one of the things that's been really cool uh, to see, and, and this is not something, and maybe we should brag about it more. You know, I don't know. Is that, is that one of the things that you should do? We have, we have accomplished a lot of cool things just by being generous as individuals and as a church body. Um, we've built wells. We've built baptistries that are uh, so many people are being baptized in, which is amazing. We've provided relief from disasters. We've reached out into the community. We help single moms and their kids. There's so many things. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, every year we do an Advent offering where we're looking out into the community and sometimes global, local missions, all of those kinds of things. And that's, like, that's, that's really fun stuff. That's cool to be able to make a difference in that way. And I'm so thankful for that generosity for us to, to be that as a church. And, and what that leads into are things like this, for example, because I get to share this with you. Um, yesterday, uh, our elders and myself, we met as a leadership team, and we've had this plan for, for a few months uh, now to have this uh, long-term planning session uh, for a church. It, you know, something that's one of those healthy things that you do as an organization where you're looking at five-year goals, you're looking at immediate stuff and all those kinds of things. And part of the culmination of that meeting was actually for uh, 12 years of, uh, 12 years, that's not what I meant to say. I meant to say 12 months, which is different from 12 years. 12 months of praying and planning and research and consulting uh, other people uh, and other organizations to come and look and see where we are and where we're going as a church and all that kind of stuff. And so, for example, because of where we are as a church right now and because of generosity, um, we are uh, prepared to post for a job opening here at our church for a youth and outreach director. Um, (laughs) 
Um, like I said, I mean, this has been a year-long process for us in praying and planning and researching and all of those kinds of things um, in, in who we are as a church, how we're uh, f- trying to be more and more continually improving in who we are as a congregation, uh, internally equipping but being outwardly focused in, in being light in darkness in our community and what that means. And so that's that's a really cool thing to be able to share. And over the next com- coming weeks, we're going to be talking more about what that looks like. We're going to be updating you on that process and all those kinds of things. But I mean, it's, it's, it's because of us being kingdom-minded, looking at life through the lens of eternity, and not just being focused only on ourselves and our own individual lives, that we get to look at those kinds of things, that we get to plan for those th- kind of things. And, and we'd love for you to continue to pray uh, with us as, uh, as we share more about that over the coming weeks and some other things that we've been planning and praying about and thinking about for our church as well. Um, let me give you one other example, because this one, uh, this one affected me personally last night. I had a delicious dinner last night. I'm going to just let you know. It was amazing. We ate like kings and queens. And the whole reason why that happened is because we had somebody in our church that invited my kids over for them to pay for and provide all of this, these food and cooking ingredients for them to teach my kids how to cook. Um, like, that's, a, that's amazing, and I got to enjoy the spoils of that for that. But even more importantly, my kid came home, and he was like, I learned how to cut cabbage today. You know, like the way in which we share who we are and what we have, it makes a difference. It, it changes lives, lives for eternity. Having intentional margin for generosity changes lives for eternity. And if we grow, as we grow in generosity, our first thoughts won't be, man, what can I do with this money? Um, and how can it more benefit me? But it's, it's going to turn into how can this benefit the kingdom? Because these, really, these are really God's resources here. I mean, having bu- money is, is not a bad thing. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, but it's, it's how we think about how God is using that in our lives and why he's providing us with what we have and how we're being blessed. Uh, we want our hearts to be free to love God with all of our hearts. And so that's why we do what we do to combat the enemy, the emotion of greed. Um, it's not a money and material possessions issue. It's a heart issue. And so I, I just want to end with a couple more uh, scripture verses. And, and these are uh, some that you may be familiar with. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, And this is so key in guarding our hearts from the emotion of greed and how it seeks to control our lives. Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is from Jeremiah 17, chapter 9. In Proverbs 24, 23, uh, part of the wisdom of guarding our hearts is that everything that we do flow, flows from it. And so if we want to shift, maybe, maybe we've thought about some things, we recognize, man, there's some things in my life that are directed from, from greed. And so some of the things that flow from my heart are greed-directed. Um, the, the way that we shift that and the way that we change that in our life is through generosity. It guards our heart from that. And so I just want to pray for our church uh, and I want to pray for us in, in how we think about how we can be generous, um, not just as a church family, but just as individuals and how we, we share who we are with other people in our life. So let's pray right now. God, um, 
we have always been uh, concerned with making sure that we're directed um, by you, that we're directing other people to you. And God, we want to make sure that as we try to be good stewards of our personal resources, as we try to be good stewards of uh, our community resources, that God, we are, uh, we are fully invested in the economy of the kingdom of God. God, we want your Holy Spirit to continually, continually direct us in uh, how we're engaged, how we're um, actively living our lives in relationship with you. That it, that it makes a real impact in who we are and what we do and how we think. And we know that we live in a world uh, and, and we live in a culture and a society that sometimes is just openly, actively antagonistic to that. And so we ask that as we continually uh, try to love you with all of our hearts and our soul and our mind and our strength, that you would, that you would reveal to us uh, the life changes that we can make uh, to continually grow closer to you, uh, to release the grip that some of these enemies of the heart have on us. And we uh, praise you for that life change that you bring uh, through your Son, through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every week at Velocity, we celebrate communion uh, with each other. And we do this because it, I, it, it, all, comes, it all comes down to this. Um, one of the most generous things that we have ever experienced in our life is the grace and mercy of Jesus through his sacrifice on the cross uh, through his resurrection, that he continually prepares a place for us, that he welcomes us um, in the most gener generous way possible. So let's share in that time of communion together now.